Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. It's lovely to be here tonight and uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Vian, I'm the pastor and it's a honor and a privilege to share this message with you tonight, but uh, warning in advance that it might make you a little bit uncomfortable. And if it doesn't, just go and reflect on it, give it some time and it will. Uh, But before I start, let me just open for us in prayer and then we can, can dive in. Yes, Lord, thank you for your goodness, Father. Thank you for your holiness, Lord, your righteousness, Lord. Thank you for your your power, Lord, holding all things together, Father, your wisdom, Father, your love and your kindness, Lord, your mercy. Thank you for your steadfastness, Lord, immovable. And yes, Lord, we come before you, Father, in what might seem to us, Lord, as interesting times, just because we are the people in these times. But throughout the ages, Father, that has been the case. The people have felt that they live in uncertain, difficult, challenging times, Lord. That will always be the case. Until the day you come back, Father, and wipe away every tear, Father, and sickness and death is no more, and pain is no more. And you yourself, Lord, will be the light. And you will be our God, Father, and we will be your people, and you will dwell with us again. What a day to look forward to, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for making that possible, Father. And may we understand tonight, Lord, what that means. That we were purchased with the blood of Christ. And thank you, Holy Spirit, always working in us so that grace might abound. That we might know God, Lord, stirring to love and good works, Father. For it is God that is working in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And when we hear your voice, Lord, may we obey. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight we're continuing with the God of Hope, part two. And the title of tonight is Hope, Fear, and Holiness. Hope, Fear, and Holiness. And uh, for me, it was quite an interesting week. Um, my wife, she was away on business for the first time. I was on kiddie duty, but that was uh, quite easy. They're obedient. Obviously, I'm a pastor. They, my kids, they always listen. Um, the only time I have trouble with them is if they play a lot with, with the rest of the congregation's children. Then I first have to tell them, no, it's not how it works. Please don't do that. <laughs> yes, but mostly. They, uh, they perfect. But that was easy, you know, and um, the challenge of preparing the sermon this week was, uh, was challenging, especially speaking about something like this, you know, having to, to do a lot of introspection and reflect in light of this. And the whole week as I put the children to bed and went and sat, sat at my desk, I just stared at the whiteboard next to me for most of the time. With two sentences written on it as I read through 1 Peter and just making a note of the things that stand out that God is calling us to. 
The two sentences were the first one, fear, mocking the grace and blood of Christ. The second one, hope in grace, fear God, be holy. And in light of that, just sat there, stared at those two sentences, reflecting. And every now and again, that words fear God became a little bit real, a bit of an uncomfortableness. But then as I ask God, Lord, also have grace. I hope in that grace to be revealed because in myself, I do not measure up. In light of the things that I sometimes think and do, reason to fear. But in light of Christ, reason to hope. And I hope that that can have the effect in us as well tonight. I don't hope, I trust. I don't know if you've used the word hope the last week and then thought to yourself, wait, wait a minute. That's not the hope Scripture speaks of. But I trust that that will be the case for us as well and that as we go through the week, we'll do some introspection in light of what the Scripture is saying to us tonight and to reflect on our lives in light of the Gospel and the price that we were purchased with. So last week, just to recap, for those of you who weren't here, we spoke about hope a little bit, and we contrasted worldly hope with biblical hope. And whenever we use the word hope in worldly terms, it's a wish based upon uncertainty. The reason I use the, words, the word hope is because I don't know if it's going to happen or not. Both the source of the hope and the subject of the hope is uncertain. And the problem with that is if we're really optimistic, it might happen 50-50 might not. And scripture says in Proverbs 13 verse 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. When hope is deferred, when hope is delayed, when hope doesn't realize, it makes the heart sick. It makes me a little bit more anxious, a little bit more depressed, a little bit more critical. It makes the heart sick. And the times that we are living in, the things going on around us and the circumstances, there's a good chance that hope was continuously deferred or didn't come to realization, made the heart sick, and now we live in hopeless times, and in light of that, Scripture says, give a reason for the hope that is in you. Hope fully on the grace that will be brought when Jesus Christ comes back. And we saw that biblical hope is completely different, both the source and the subject certain, the source being God himself, the subject life with him. And I'm certain that God will come back for me and will not leave me as an orphan because that is what he promised. And I know that his promises are true because he did not even withhold his son from me, but gave him. How much more will he not give us? Everything. It's certain, rooted in the character of God, that what he has promised will come to pass. And even in the midst of the things that we are going through, the reason for our hope is that a good God, even through pain and suffering, works all things together for his eternal glory and my eternal good. Even pain and suffering is bringing about faith. Greater revelation of who he is. Teaching me to have empathy with the people around me that's going through the same stuff. But a loving God bringing everything good out of pain and suffering, even that. And then in light of that scripture asks us to gird up the loins of our minds, be sober, be prepared. That misplaced hope, get it back together, that anxiousness, that depression, bring it together and hope fully on the grace that will be brought when Jesus Christ comes back. Hope fully, because that is certain. And the question that we want to ask ourselves tonight is, 
How does that hope look practically? What does it flow out into? How does it look like when I'm hoping fully on Jesus Christ and on His return and the grace that He will bring with Him? How does that look like? Because as a Christian, we at least have to say it. Because Scripture says it. But how can I examine myself in the light of that? What will be the fruit of that? Be a life devoted to holiness. And there's a fear that sustains it. So let's go through the passage again and see what we can learn from it. 1 Peter 1, from verse 3 to 21. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer griefs in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Important to note, what should my life Resulting when Jesus comes back, what should my faith result in? It should result in glory and praise and honor when Jesus comes back. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope or set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty ways of life and down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Though you believe in God, through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. And last time we looked at the first half of that passage, and when we examine it, it is actually the gospel message of Jesus Christ and also the appropriate response to the gospel message, all highlighted here for us in this chapter. You see, in the beginning it is God coming and doing a work, saving us, allowing us to be born again because we are dead in sins and transgressions, saving us from empty way of life, saving us from the ignorance that we once lived in. And even from the beginning of the passage, Peter writes to the elect exiles, whom God foreknew, God chose you, and He appointed you to salvation. And He led you by His Spirit to obedience to Christ. And He sprinkled you with the blood of Christ, and He made you holy. And He gave you this new hope, new living hope, this new birth to an eternal and everlasting inheritance. And He is shielding us through His power, and He is busy bringing about faith. God is saving us. That is the message of the gospel. And then it says how we should respond to that message. And the first thing that we also noted last week, there's three 
they call it imperatives. There's a, a thing that we should do, a verb, but an important one. And three main ones in this passage. We looked at the first one last week. It says here in verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully. Get your mind together. Gird up the loins of your mind. Wherever you have misplaced it, get it together and hope fully on Jesus Christ and when He comes back. That is the appropriate response in light of what God is busy doing. That is the appropriate response in light of who God is. And then we should ask ourselves, if we have set our hope fully, what is the outcome? How does that look like? And the scripture says here in the next couple of verses, verse 14 to 16, it says the following. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But, there's the contrast, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. That is another appropriate response to the gospel in light of me placing my hope fully in Jesus Christ. Then I devote myself to be holy because he is holy. In other words, that is what it means to lay down your life, take up your cross and follow God. You see, because this passage says to us how we should be holy. We're not allowed to define it in our own terms. There's a lot of people with a lot of definitions as to what holiness means. But the scripture says, be holy because I am holy and be holy like I am holy. As I am holy, so you be holy. In other words, holiness comes down to obedience. Every time I obey and I follow the holy God, then I am holy. Set apart, other than, not like this world. Every time I bring my life in alignment with the message of the gospel and the truth of scripture, I'm set apart. I am other than I am holy, useful to God for his purposes. And every time I disobey, every time my life is out of line with the message of the gospel and God's word, I am unholy because I'm not following the God that is holy. I don't know about you, but that's quite a, a call there. Be holy as I I'm holy. Be set apart as I am set apart. And again, it causes us to hope in grace because only God can do that work in our lives. Be holy as I am holy. And we see the contrast there. All of a sudden, when my hope is fully placed in Christ, there's a shift in my life. I no longer live and conform to the evil desires I had when I lived in ignorance. Now I'm enlightened by the word of God and I live to please him. There's a change that happens. And we see that when my hope is fully set on Christ, my devotion fully follows. When my hope is fully set on Christ, my devotion fully follows. And that also gives us an indication of where we've placed our hope in. Scripture says, don't place your hope in the emptiness of riches, because you will be devoted to those riches. You will not be master over it, but it will be Lord over you. But where my devotion is, fully set. There I have placed my hope. There I have placed my hope. My action follows that which I've placed my hope in. And I've placed it fully on God. 
You see, it gives this kind of indication of someone that's busy immigrating. As it speaks in that scripture, we, we live as foreigners. We are elect exiles. And what happens when somebody immigrates to a different country? He gets rid of all the things that he cannot take with. Sells them, gets rid of them, but only what I can take with. I'm focusing on now, but the rest of the stuff's got to go. Maybe not that good a illustration because you'll buy that stuff maybe when you get to the new country again. But you get what I'm saying. And in light of being called to a certain citizenship that is in heaven, there's one thing that we are certain that we can take with, and that is the people around us. If they've set their hope fully on the grace that will be brought when Jesus Christ comes back. And to that end I toil and I strive. To implore the rest of the people around me, set your hope fully on Jesus Christ and when he comes back. And it's needed in the times that we are living in, in the culture that we're living in. Traditional Christian culture. It's not something new. In this week I was speaking to a guy and I was not even halfway through speaking. Speaking about the message of the gospel and how people do not understand the biblical response to it. And the gospel stops with Jesus Christ died for me so now I can continue and live as I want to. So that is not the case. We are not responding as we should. And he stops me and he says, no, he doesn't agree with me. I wanted to say, you don't agree with me so far because I've not finished speaking. And he said, no, this must be a new veil that is over our eyes. I said, no. Even in John, when Jesus speaks to the Pharisees and he says, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And they say, how can someone set us free? We've never been enslaved. We are sons of Abraham. And Jesus says, you are sons of the devil. Strong words. But in the culture around us, needed message to proclaim. Because Jesus likens it to a master of a house that sets servants. Different duties over the household. You're going to read that Matthew 24, Luke 12. It's not on the board. And he uses the same words here that we find in verse 13 of 1 Peter 1. Prepare your minds. Be sober. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be prepared because no one knows. The hour when the Son of Man will come back. But it's like a master of a house that set his servant over his household. And the diligent, faithful servant, he set his hope fully on the fact that his master will come back. He was awake and he was ready. And he treated the rest of the servants as God expected him to treat them. And he was busy doing the work that God expected him to do. Set apart wholly unto the master. And when the master knocked, he opened the door. He says, welcome back. And the master said, well done, and set him of all of his things. But the foolish and the evil servant began to despise those around him, mistreat them. And said, surely my master's not coming back anytime soon. And he began to sat and part two of the drunkards. And when the master came back, he cut him in two. And thrown him away with the hypocrites, where there is a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. And then in our culture we say, hey, hey, easy with the cutting in the half and the throwing away with the hypocrites. Relax. That's a bit wild. Easy with the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Didn't Jesus come and pay for that? Didn't Jesus come and die for our sins? And then scripture says, yes, in light of that, there's reason to fear. Because scripture says here in the very next verse, 
Verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. And the Greek word there for fear isn't, you know, some kind of not fear-like type of fear that we sometimes want to make the fear that Scripture speaks of out to be. It's the word phobos. It's the, where we get the word phobia from. It's real fear. It's not because they couldn't find a better word. It really is fear. And why? Because you call on him as father, yes. But the righteous judge, judges impartially, based upon each one's work. You see, it's in light of knowing who God is and the holiness of God. And when I'm confronted with my own sinfulness, and then in light of that, see the sacrifice of Christ, when I understand things as they should be. And in the beginning, it sounds like a, a bit of a, a cliche here. It sounds like a bit of a contradiction, but it's one of those Christian paradoxes that make sense. The same thing that gives me hope is also the reason to fear. You see, Isaiah had an encounter with God in Isaiah 6. And he sees God for who he is, and he sees the holiness of God. And the seraphims that cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And as Isaiah beholds God, he says, Who is me? Who is me? For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips, and I have seen the Lord, the God of hosts. And he's sure that he's going to die that day in light of his own sinfulness. And he was one of the more holy people in Israel, if you can put it that way. And God sends an, an angel and he touches his lips with a coal from the altar. And he says, your sins are atoned for and your guilt is taken away. And in light of that, in light of realizing the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, but also the grace of God, Isaiah's devotion fully follows. Because when God asks just after that, who will go for us, who will we send? Isaiah says, yeah, I am, Lord. Send me. God hasn't even said where to, what he should do, or what he should say. It's like, yeah, Lord, here I am. Send me. My devotion will fully follow. I want to be holy unto you. And also understand that in light of your holiness, in light of the price you paid, in light of my sinfulness, there is reason to be diligent towards holiness and reason to fear. See, when we see that, and what the blood of Christ actually means, the uncomfortableness starts to grow. The holy fear starts to grip my heart. Because look at what Scripture says the reason is why we should fear. Live out your time as foreigners in reverent fear. Why? The next verse. Because you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty ways of life and down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb without blemish or defect. And at first it doesn't make sense. It sounds like a contradiction. Why is the reason that I have hope? Because Christ died for me. Why is the reason that I fear? Because Christ died for me. And to put it into context, in light of that, in light of a holy God laying down his life for me, giving me the resurrection of life into a living hope by raising Jesus from giving me an inheritance that is imperishable and eternal, and that he is guarding me through his power, and that he is shifting the things in my life so that it might produce faith 
in me, in light of that, I fear that instead of when Jesus comes back and I give him honor and praise and glory, that I've shrunken back and my life was not worthy of the blood of Christ, I fear that. I fear that I fall back into the empty ways of life handed down to me from my ancestors. I fear that I still live in ignorance even though Jesus Christ gave his life for me and I'm exact same man. I was before I met him and the day he came back. That is what I fear. That I'm receiving the grace of God in vain. And the best example I could find to explain this is to think of yourself as having a son or a daughter and they get entangled and become to be friends with the wrong people and they develop a drug addiction, empty way of life, entangled by sin like we were before Christ came. Slaves to sin, grasped by this addiction. They began to hang out with the wrong people and all of a sudden they take them captive. And they phone you and they say, hey, we have your son, we have your daughter. They've gotten themselves into this mess. We, we want you to pay an amount of money, a ransom, a loss price, as the Afrikaans will say. We want you to pay a ransom so that you can have your child back. And you go and you sell your stuff, you sell your house, your car, let the retirement fund pay out, everything you have. They say, okay, we'll meet somewhere. Where you can put the money down and your kid can come and if they take it and bring it to us, we can come back to you. And you go and you've gathered everything you have together and you go and place that money there. And your kid comes, takes the money. And as he hands them to that group of people, he puts his hand around his captors and he looks at you and he gives you the finger. And scripture says, fear that you don't do that to God. Fear that. Fear doing that with the grace of God. After he has ransomed you from empty ways, to walk away from that grace of God with your hands around the empty lifestyle. Fear that. Fear receiving the grace of God and being enlightened so that you can understand the word of God. But when he comes, you are still found to be ignorant. Because there was no passion and no purpose when it came to the word of God. Fear that. Fear that. See, Paul writes in Romans 6, and he says, What then shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? For don't you know that we who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? And as the Father raised him to glory, we too might walk in newness of life. Fear that, continuing in sin that grace may abound. That's not how it works. Paul writes to the Philippians in Philippians 1 verse 27 and he says, Only let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. We have one desire, whether in spirit or in flesh, and that is to be pleasing unto him. That is to be pleasing unto him. That is the reason why the blood of Christ is both my reason for hope and for fear. Because I fear that I might receive it in vain. And when he comes back, there's no praise, no honor, no glory. But I'm still sitting with my hands around a sinful lifestyle, busy with empty ways. I want to end off for us with 1 Peter 1, 
أخوث جون 1 1 جون 3 1 to 3 which is see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him we are other than we are holy we are separate we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure that is the correct response to the message of the gospel to Jesus Christ laying down his life for me so hope that follows devotion that follows and a holiness that follows because Jesus Christ died for you hope in God because Jesus Christ died for you fear God hope in grace fear God be holy let's stand tonight and pray together Yes, Lord, thank you that we can stand before you tonight, Lord, and with a bit of an uncomfortableness, yes, Lord. But knowing, Father, that you want to respond, Father, biblically to Scripture, Father. It might seem confusing in the beginning, Lord, but the more we give it time to sink in, Lord, the more we reflect on it, Father, it makes sense. light of this Lord we want to come and repent Father as a church that we let empty things Lord things of ignorance Lord lead us away from you Father still focus Lord still vision Father but sometimes we are so passive and while there is hoping in grace Lord there is also reason to fear lest we receive the grace of God in vain like you say in Hebrews 6 for those who have once been enlightened, have shed in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the world to come, seen its power, and then have fallen away from God, it is impossible to restore them again to repentance. Because they are crucifying the Son of God twice and holding Him up to public shame. And we fear, Lord, lest we fall into that category. Thank you, Lord, that you say that if we're wondering if we're there or not, while we are here still, we are not. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. And we want to repent, Father, and ask you, Father, to give us a revelation of your holiness, Lord, and of the grace of Christ, that it might shape our lives, and that we might set our hope fully, Lord, and that devotion might fully follow. That we would let go, Lord, of the sin that so easily ensnares and entangles, Lord. That we would let go of the empty ways of life handed down from our ancestors, Father. Busy with meaningless things, Lord, trivial things, while we were bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. And we ask, Lord, that you would bring this to remembrance, Father. 
As we put on the TV, Lord, may the fear of God grip our hearts and say, I was not bought with the blood of Christ for trivial things. And as the evil desires comes back, Lord, when we lived in ignorance, Lord, that sin that we struggle to let go of, Lord, my hope and fear, Father, have an effect in our lives. As we cling to you, Father, as we pursue holiness like you are holy. And we repent, Lord, that you have come and redeemed us from ignorance, yet we do not know the word of truth. We were bought with a price, Lord. And like people that's immigrating, Father, moving to a new city, the heavenly land, Lord, may you come and show us, Lord, what are the things that we need to let go of and get rid of, Father, that we cannot take with. That is not worth it, Lord. And may you come and renew our vision, Father, anew. And sorry, Lord, we repent for the, for the times that our lives do not line up. And may we fear for the mocking the blood and grace of God. May we hope fully in you, Lord, and the grace to be brought. For we are in need of grace, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.